0: And so if you make a powerful choice to want to be open, not in a morbid way, like I have to go and dive into death and find out what that's all about. It doesn't have to be a dark, morbid, paranormal experience at all. It can be one of an open appreciation of a transition. Prophecies
1: have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world.
2: In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors.
1: With humble hearts, and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten.
2: Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hello, beloveds. Welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. We have an awesome episode for you today with Dr. Nicole Gruel, who is an author, a speaker, a mama, and a specialist in spiritual health, who descends from a 450 year lineage of samurai, a near death experience as a teenager, and numerous other spiritually transformative experiences have inspired her to cheerlead others to become the agents of awesome they are meant to be. Nicole has a doctorate in integral and transpersonal psychology, is an advisory board member for the Spiritual Awakenings International, has mentored coaches for the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and much, much more. We are really excited about this episode because we are going to be talking about how we maintain spiritual health after we have moments of awakening, moments of unplugging from the matrix and having an extraordinary experience and how we can integrate that into our lives as the world is changing. So without further ado, thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It is a pleasure to be reconnecting. I'm excited.
2: (laughs) So I first stumbled upon Nicole's work when developing the curriculum for Sacred Facilitator. And I saw this incredible video of you, Nicole, speaking about the phases of integration and an extraordinary experience that you had clearly had. I mean, obviously you had a near-death experience that I'd, I'd love to hear about, but how you integrate that and apply it to living in this world today. And so since we are beings of the world, let's just start with where we are. How are you? What's on your heart what's on your mind
0: yeah on my heart and on my mind is um is the state of the world today <laughs> and the massive transformation in what almost feels like a global near-death experience right now you know the world that we have known it to be has changed and as a result she that we inhabit our mama earth um, and we our little beings upon her we go through transformation too and some of us are very conscious and aware of that transformation taking place and for others some of us are getting rude awakenings and for others it's kind of business as usual and yet maybe something feels a little off or not quite right but can't put our finger on it. So, you know, people are at different paths right now on the planet. And so personally, it's really about finding where are my feet, you know, where are my feet, where are my family's feet? How can I be the best mama possible in these times when it's so unpredictable out there education looks different, livelihood looks different, everything looks different. It's game on right now. And so, you know, how do I as a mama, as a partner of a loving person, as a creative, you know, step forward in the world today um, and do it, be present and do it differently, you know? So I'm rising to that challenge (laughs) as best I can. Yeah.
2: It really is a new frontier. We really are on a threshold. I love that you called what we are going through socially, culturally in our world a near-death experience. It's a necessary death experience. And it's like a a shifting in archetypal consciousness, like more than just a paradigm. It's like taking it to another level of how we understand the nature of our reality and who we are. And women like you and women who are guests. On the Time of the Feminine podcast, and women who are listening, we're all really pioneers in this unchartered territory. We're the new, uh, you know, discoverers, if so to so to speak.
0: Yeah, and and there's something that's so thrilling and exciting about being in that territory, and at the same time, you know, and I know that our community and people who resonate with that same archetype have the tendency to be in that creative mode, the co-creative mode and in the new rather in the visionary space, which is necessary and amazing because someone has to be with the vision and keep that and, and hold the torch. And at the same time, I find what is also necessary is to acknowledge the transformation and the hard stuff and even some of the grief that comes up about it. You know, I'm meeting with people where they're saying, hey, I'm going through this transformation, whether they see it as a transformation in their own life or they understand it as a spiritual transformation, something even bigger in kind of how they walk the world and and what it's all about. And for many of them, there's a grief. It's like, but I had a life that was a particular way and it wasn't necessarily a bad one. You know, maybe I was uncomfortable with some dimensions of it and elements, but there were pieces that I really loved. And... I'm I'm a bit upset and pissed off and you know challenged that I have to shift some of those things maybe because I didn't want to. You know it's always great when we get to be visionary and co-creative and make the changes consciously because we want to and choose to. It's another thing when you find you have to respond consciously and mindfully to a global climate that is that is requiring a different level of adaptation, right? Because now it's not your choice all the time. But what is your choice is how do you respond in the moment to that and bring everything that you are and have to it, including all of your tools of just being, you know, as mindful as you can and as as positive. But, um, yeah, we have to acknowledge that there are these challenging pieces. Before the butterfly comes along, the caterpillar is mushed up into just a mess and for some people going through a transformation that can just be the most mm, um, not only expansive but just confusing and even dark time like I feel like I'm in pieces and I don't know who I am and I don't know what's going on and I don't know that I'm going to make it through this. You know, um, and again, even just really acknowledging the dark that's on the planet right now, you know, suicide rates are up. Substance abuse is up. Just so many, so many things about how we either harm ourselves or harm other people is up right now. And for me, that is a litmus test. That is an indicator of our general health as a species It's not a blame game to say, well, if you have an addictive quality, then that's your issue and that's wrapped up in X, Y, Z because you did it. No, I mean, that's that's going into the blame game, right? And of course, we all have our personal stories that we need to get clear on and be accountable with. But I think the general pattern that there is this level of harm and darkness going on right now speaks to where we are at. Um, and without getting too bogged down in the darkness, it also does speak to the potential of the shift that is in play right now. Mm-hmm. So much of what you just said just like struck
1: me on this like very meta and deep level because really, the darkness is so confusing. You know, it's hard to see which way is up. It's hard to know who you are. It's hard to grasp onto anything because nothing is certain. And I think we're all collectively learning that right now that the attachments that we had, the way of living we had been shown, you know, all these ideas of who we are, what we ought to be, are just not going to sustain us in this next chapter. It's just, it can't be. It can't be. And so it's like, who am I in that? And I'm curious how you guide people through that process, you know, I relate to that in my own way. Yeah. Well, I think you'll
0: do. do?" (laughs) Yeah. And and, and you asked such a key question there, which is the key of how I do work with people and walk forward is who am I in that, Mm -hmm. in that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always the answer. Who am I? Right. And when we know who we are and we are connected to some piece of our core self, so who we are at our most natural self, right? Who we are at our core essence. The beauty of having spiritual experiences or being dedicated to some kind of a practice of of opening is that we have a taste of what that is. For some people who've had full-blown spiritual experiences, they might have had like a really deep sense of, of what that is, a total knowing of what that is. That's great to have connection and knowing of it, but the question then becomes, now what, right? And this is the integration piece. This is where the magic happens. So the experience is there, the knowing can be there, the connection. But to walk the journey of who am I in this right now, this changing world, who am I in the eye of the storm that is going on, means connecting to that core natural essence continually because it is evolving. It is alive. It is essence. We are this continually emergent being, right? As long as we have a physical incarnation and we have life force energy that moves through us, we are a dynamic process. So it's not like I had this, whoa, the mountaintop awakening process and there it is, it's done and woo, I'm fully enlightened and yeah, over. No, I mean, you know, you had an experience and that's awesome. And you connected to something amazing. And now your invitation as a being embodied is what do you want to do with that? Because you could do anything. What do you want to do? And that's the exciting stuff that can come in and the great challenge, right, that can come with it as well as we bump up against the world, we bump up with our relationships, we bump up with our service and how we want to be in the world. You know, there's all of these things that we have to encounter every single day while staying connected to the source essence that we are. So, you know, I think... That, that is just the key question walking through who I am in this moment, you know, so staying connected to that as the day unfolds, as the moments unfold, as the path unfolds, as the signs come, as the conversations come and being alive to the interactions between us and the emergent world. And in that space you know, that's where the direction can come, the purpose can come. We can find answers, especially when it's dark and it can get really dark. Really, if you've had these moments before of total clarity, and you've been on your path and you know, and you're like, I've got things figured out finally. And and yet again, we're in the blender and now we're all like a big smoothie and it's messy. And oh my goodness, so where to now again? And that can it can feel exhausting too, right? To constantly have to try figure things out. So if, if, if feeling exhausted, if feeling dark, if feeling confused and lost, you know to always know that we can relax into the core essence of who we are always because it never goes away as long as we are alive and embodied it never goes anywhere. And from that space, the one movement that comes is will, the will power right Our will is what gives us a piece of movement in a direction. you know I remember being at the um, at the deathbed of my uncle, And we watched him as his body left, right? As his spirit left his body. And my mother, so his sister and myself, and we didn't want him to go, right? We wanted him naturally to still be alive. Like, you know, most people, they're there, you don't want them to go. But he didn't want to be alive anymore. And it was a really powerful moment for me because I could see that, you know, his body was going to go regardless, but he could have stayed on a bit longer if he wanted. But the moment his will, just said, no thanks, I'm done, I don't want to be here, release me please, it was done. And so that is it, right? We might be alive in a body and have life force energy, but until we have a partnership with and engage our will, our movement, we're not going to move anywhere, right? So we can allow it to move and direct us as we continually co-create our direction and in this global time of great shift and change to start to practice a level of acceptance of it's okay, (laughs) it's okay to let go of this form or way of being, it's okay to let go of that because right now the rules are in transition and so We're not playing the same game Mm -hmm. as humans on this planet at this time. You know, that's what's so interesting about it. If you're really, you know, if you're really consciously paying attention to what's happening right now, any game can be played. So what what do you want to play? You know,
2: I'm really touched by the story of witnessing the shift in the will of your uncle and the choice to leave. And I'm struck by that because culturally, obviously, our whole entire system is based on this fear of death. And I would love you to unpack that because I have a feeling you've thought a lot about that. And this idea of building and producing and becoming perfect and fulfilling all these objectives so that we can, you know, when we cross over, maybe go to heaven, maybe go to this castle in the sky, or maybe not. But I feel like there's so much we don't know about death. We don't understand about death because it is the great mystery. And the mystery has been a really freaky place for people to live in. We've wanted to define, we've wanted to quantify, we've wanted to understand definitively. And there's something about this shifting in cosmology, this shifting in the way we're understanding that leaves room for more mystery and unknown and more of the natural cycle of death and not just death at the end of life but death like mother nature seasons death of our identities and this question who am i right now is actually a question i'm going through right now myself it's an interesting and humbling question when you know you have some measure of you know like a respect or success in who you have been who you have embodied and then to get to a place where you look at these structures that you've created in your mind and you're like this doesn't feel like fully me anymore and the surrender of that so there's a lot of things that I just shared in that but I'd like to start with death, perhaps even your experience with death, and then into the way society views death and how, take it away.
0: Yeah, there's so much I want to respond to in that <laughs> death. So I had an experience when I was 14 years old, and there was a, I'll, I'll go into it, that was the the first near-death experience, and there were a series of things that happened within six months that I call my doorway to death. So it was my threshold moment into understanding that there are um, greater experiences that can be so, and, and look, I was 14 years old at the time. I didn't have any kind of language like this for it then, right? I didn't know any of this, but as a big person now, I can look back on all of that. That's why I'm so curious about these experiences and what happens in our transformation, because it happened back then. And I had to make sense of what the heck I just went through. So at 14 years old, I was in New Zealand, whitewater rafting. And we went down this 32 foot fall, um, which was thrilling and amazing and just the most awesome thing ever, which is why people do stuff like that. And so we did it the first time and loved it so much that we went down a second time. but on the second run the boat tipped and I got thrown out of this um, this little raft right one of those inflatable rafts. there were four of us in there, myself, a friend and two instructors. And I got thrown out and, you know, 32 feet of water coming down is a whole heap of water pressure, right? And when I fell out of the boat, I had the response that most swimmers would. I grew up a swimmer around beaches. I put out my arms to swim. But by putting out my arms to swim, I gave more surface area and the water just pushed me down even deeper and quicker. And so I opened my eyes when I was deep down and everything was black. And this goes back to talking about being in the void before and blackness and not knowing the direction. It was a moment like that. Eyes wide open, looking around, and I didn't know which way was up or down or left. or Well, I knew left or right, because obviously I'm you know, left or right on me, but up or down, I, I didn't know. I had total vertigo, yeah? Weirdest feeling. And so I knew in that moment there was no point in trying to swim anywhere because I didn't know where I was going to go. And then the next thought was, well, the next experience that happened was a feeling of sheer panic because I knew this is my last breath. And then straight after that moment of sheer panic and realising it was my last breath came a moment of total calm, just total calm and in the blackness this is where the near-death experience kind of stories come through some of these themes in the blackness of the water opened up a horizon of light and in that horizon of light coming towards me was my then living grandmother uh, so the one on my samurai side And my then deceased first dog, who had been like a sibling for me because I grew up without brothers or sisters. I was very close with my pets. So those two beings were walking towards me in this horizon of light underwater. And at 14, I looked at them and I thought, that's unusual. What are you doing here? And then I heard a male voice very clear right beside my ear here say, Nicole, remember to breathe. And with that, the recollection came in somewhere about the briefing we'd had that morning to curl up like a ball And so I did that because I had a life jacket on and sure enough, I just popped on right up to the surface of the water. It went from black to dark green to light green to the white bubbles and up I popped and I came up right near the mouth of a cave and I was so lucky I came up when I did because had I not come up, you know, had I come up a little bit later, I would have had my death experience that day. The water would have just, you know, got me straight into a cave and they wouldn't have been able to pull me out of that because of all the gushing white water that goes down the river. So that was it. That was the experience. And I was 14, so I was just glad that I was alive and, you know, uh, it, it, that was it for the day. I didn't have any great transformation or any need to integrate or compute anything. It was just the experience. And this is typical as well of children who have near-death experiences where our paradigms are not fully formed yet. And so we can accept experiences for what they are as opposed to questioning them that they shouldn't fit in our reality, right? So if an adult had I had that experience today without any other prior experiences, I might have a completely different type of after experience. So that happened and then within six months, I. so that was my near death and within six months I lost my father. Suddenly he died of a heart attack on the other side of the planet and we had a whole heap of unresolved stuff between us. He died with me very angry at him. He had liked the substances and our relationship had become very frayed. So I had a lot of anger around just our relationship and him and it ended suddenly. So of course that was a lot of unprocessed stuff to be with, and I also lost two other family members. My father's death created a domino effect of other family members and two others died quickly after um, in France as well. So, and I think my grandfather, I lost my grandfather as well, my Japanese one soon after. There was like all of this death that happened around it and my own near death. So it took me years to process this whole these layers of unprocessed grief, I didn't know that that's what it was called. I just turned to substances and experiences and travel and, you know, relationships and all of these different things, right, without actually addressing what was at the core of all of it, which was layers and layers of unprocessed grief. So naturally, I'd always gravitated toward the spiritual path as well. And as I moved down, for me, it was a very yogic path that made sense, and so as I really plunged myself deep into that, into my 20s, it gave me the space to start to unpack and unprocess a lot of these things. But it wasn't until the death, the physical death and transition of my grandmother, who was the one that came to me in the horizon of light, where similarly to my grandfather, uh, to my uncle, I got to spend a lot of time around her in the transition process. I wasn't there at her moment of of transition, but I was there in the weeks leading up to it and in the weeks afterwards. And the Japanese do things really differently to how I have experienced them in the West. You know, in the West, someone dies, you go to a funeral, you see them maybe one time, you know, and it's like this body that's being treated and then off they go when you don't see them again. And everyone has to kind of deal with their grief silently. And in a way, I find that a bit traumatic because there's no space to process. Right. There's no holding of it. Whereas what happened in Japan, and it was so weird for me because, again, it was new, you know, my grandmother's body came home with us and they had treated the body in a way where she could stay in the room and in in Japan you sleep on the tatami mats, you know. So my mother and I were sleeping in the room next to where my grandma was and next to where we have this, you know, this shrine for all of the ancestors. So I was like sleeping and dreaming in a space where this transition was going on. And I, I at the time, I was like, this is just also surreal and strange. And I was reading the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. So I was also understanding how do the elements leave the physical body one by one? And I watched that happen with her. You know, I watched the fire leave her body so that, you know, her form was a lot cooler. I watched the water leave, you know, when people stop eating and drinking, right? So no more earth, no more water. They don't ingest the liquid liquids anymore and then the last thing to go is the air when you take your last breath you know and then for a while it gets calm and, and and the person the spirit leaves the body and so it was a great honor To witness all of that in just, that's just the physical component, right? But then there's the emotional, psychological, spiritual journeying that we who remain alive on planet Earth have to navigate because once the, the body and the spirit, like once they've transitioned, they've transitioned. They don't have to deal with the Earth stuff. We do. So we are the ones who grieve. We are the ones who get sad about things. They've moved on. And so, you know, I won't go into all of the details about the ceremony, but there's so many beautiful pieces about watching the transition of somebody go over time and, you know, the village coming to kind of feast when she's still there as well, because they're giving honoring and thanks to her life and all that she has contributed. So it's such a different experience, right? And then by the time that body is ready to be cremated and to go, there was a completely different level of readiness within me. And her transition over those weeks allowed me to just totally heal up all of that other unprocessed grief about the sudden deaths that had happened with these other people. So I'm forever grateful about that. So when you asked about the fear of death, there are there are multiple ways in how we can be with that fear. And our fear only comes because it's an unknown once we know something of it, like anything in life, once we know something about something or anything, we don't fear it as much. Um, So death is the same in that. And the reason why we're fascinated by near-death experience accounts, whether you've had one or not, or you know someone or, you know, people are just so interested because one, there are questions about what happens when I die. And Other people that love to listen to them is, you know, I've just lost someone and I don't know what's happened to them. I miss them terribly and I want to know. I'm grieving my loved one. And so these these stories that we hear about near-death experiences give us some comfort in that because it's shifting the unknown into hearing different accounts of what people have experienced, right? It makes it a little bit more familiar and a little bit more known, And I'm not going to sit here and say that everyone has a pleasant near-death experience. They don't. There are many distressing stories as well. And so it's impossible, as far as I'm concerned, it's impossible to say this is what happens when we die. This is where we go. Because again, I want to honor the mystery, right? There is a mystery that is there that each of us will journey with what we can do is understand patterns that have emerged in stories and accounts of people who have journeyed to a place to a threshold and come back into life form and so from that most accounts are highly pleasant you know most accounts will speak of expansiveness colors beyond colors we experience on earth smells and like senses Our senses go through things that we can't do in the physical form. We are comforted often by beings of light or loved ones or some form of light that we recognize. It's interesting when you get into different cultures, different cultures go through different things. So many people in the West will talk about the tunnel with the light at the end. But in Asia, many people talk about a body of water and crossing over the body of water. Right. So There are many different things that can happen. And I guess the one thing about the fear of death is it's inevitable, right? Not the fear of death, but our our transition out of a physical form is inevitable. So we have a choice then. Are we going to fear that moment or are we going to be as mindfully open as possible to that moment? And many of the great meditators will tell us everything you do in your preparation for death will assist you through the life that you live, right? So how we live is how we die. And if we live our life freaked out about the moment of death, don't expect a revelation. (laughs) At that moment, you'll probably walk into it equally, you know, fearful about things. And so if you make a powerful choice, To want to be open, not in a morbid way, like I have to go and dive into death and find out what that's all about. It doesn't have to be a dark, morbid, paranormal experience at all. It can be one of an open appreciation of a transition, you know, and the same patterns that we go through in life, we go through these rebirthings continually in life where we shift who we are, our identity. And death is no different to that. You know, as the Dalai Lama, I think it was, says it's just different clothing on the body, right? The skin is a different form of the spirit. Um, and so we shift and we change and and it's okay, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing
1: your experience about that. I I was in college and I had a professor that studied death. I forget the exact term for this, but it was fascinating to me how sheltered we are in the West from death and how she would talk about a lot of random things also, well, random for this podcast, but about how we fetishize death and how there's like, because we're not fully accepting of it, how we have like these perverse ideas of death and, you know, how you were describing your Japanese ancestors and the altar those who have passed, you know. I live in California. I'm very close to Mexico, and they have Día de los Muertos and the honoring of those who've descended. And so, it really is is a cultural thing, you know, of how we've moved away from this life cycle, you know, the natural cycle that takes place, and death being a very important part of that, you know, and and not just in the the final state, but in the ongoing state of shedding and letting parts of you die. And so I'm, I'm curious about, you know, when you, when you work with people that have had these, these experiences, these, these near-death experiences, and then they come back to this life, like, how do you assist one in integrating that when it's really intense or scary or, or extremely beautiful? And then to come back is also hard. So what does that look like?
0: Yeah, totally. And it's not even limited to people that have had near-death experiences. People that have had a profound spiritual experience are transformed on the deepest level. And so, you know, they too will relate to many of these stories, right? Even people like plant medicine is so popular these days, right? And for many that can feel like I died to who I was on Friday and now come Monday, I've got to operate a different way and I don't know how to do me anymore. Like, what is this, right? So that 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 is a. And we also have this category called near death like experiences, right? And that is where our identity and those core parts of ourselves we die to who we were, and we have to now figure out okay now what so integration is such a fascinating area there are we can talk about it in this way there are the short-term after effects and there are the long-term after effects so the immediate stuff is you know i just had this full-blown experience and you know perhaps i feel like my feet are just coming back to earth right now like i've got a ground So this can be the phase where maybe we've got some wild things going on with our body, like electrical stuff going on. You know, we physically feel some changes that are happening. Our digestive urges might be different. Maybe all of a sudden we want to eat meat or we never want to eat meat again. Maybe we want to have a whole heap of sex. Maybe we are completely disinterested by sex. So physically there's stuff that happens. Emotionally, right, it could be like a big churning mill. Yeah, maybe our this is one of the biggest ones that comes up that that challenges people in their integration is if your core values have been challenged. So if you've had this experience that opened you and awoke you to a different way of being or an expanded way that was markedly different from how you've been operating, you're the one that now has to grapple with that because you know you can't quite fit into the container of who you were operating in that way because if you do, if you try and do that, you'll run into other problems. You might end up sick. (laughs) You might end up with other issues that go on in your life because you're trying to fit into a container that won't contain you anymore. You're bigger than that now right? So you got to step into your big girl shoes now. But what is that like, right? That's a bit scary too. So there are the the values and where the values can become really challenging and painful is around and, and obvious is around our relationships. Because we might be going through, okay, so this is happening a bit differently for me now. I don't want to do this in my life. Or, you know, maybe I used to hang out with these people or I used to go there on in an evening and I I just don't feel like doing that anymore. I don't want that company or, you know, I, I just, I'm not interested in having those conversations anymore. Like I'm done, you know, I'm done with it. So that now challenges our relationships And that's where it's going to show up the fastest, right? Because people are going to notice, hey, you're just different. Like I either really like (laughs) being around you now because this is awesome and I don't know what's happened, but but you're more fun or you're lighter or, you know, or I just know you're making me feel really uncomfortable and you're bringing stuff up or I don't understand you anymore, right? And the divorce rates are actually higher within the near-death community than the regular divorce rates, which are already high enough anyway. So, and I think we can actually expand that out to the, the community of people who've had spiritually transformative experiences. So that tells us something about the challenges that come up, right, in our relationships when our most intimate people, we just become like two ships in the night. You know, and we don't know how to talk about some of the most fundamental things that are important to us anymore. Or maybe they're not interested, or maybe we've just outgrown the relationship. And it's no judgment on anyone in the relationship, it's just that we've done our journey, and that's okay and so the immediate after effects on the spiritual can be really intense as well so for some people their visionary center opens right or their auditory senses right so they might meet who i call the cheeky clairs right clairaudience clairsentience clairvoyance right the cheeky clairs might pop up and if you've never met the cheeky clairs before you're probably going to have a real like, holy. am I allowed to swear on this thing? Like, you know, this real holy F experience, <laughs> what is going on, right? And this, this is a crucial moment for some people who, and it's actually pretty serious, but it can be slightly comic as well. If you've never encountered them and you don't know what's going on and you're hearing things, and you're seeing things that other people can't hear or see, and you don't know what is happening to you, and either do the people around you, and you think it's going to harm you, and in that moment you seek help from the conventional world of medicine, psychiatry, psychology, you will likely end up with some kind of a label for life and a diagnosis that's completely possible some people will also end up with a stay in an asylum for some time because you might be deemed having a psychotic experience or some kind of schizophrenic experience right and that might not necessarily be what is going on for you right so i don't want to scare people out of the experiences either right but i'm giving the reality of what does happen to some people out there when they really don't know what's going on with these and our family and our friends just want to help us right when we're going through this and we want to you know make sure that we're okay and that is that crucial point where a lot of people will ask the experience am i going mad am i going nuts And the good news is that if you're asking that question of yourself, the chances are, no, you're not. (laughs) Because some part of you is actually witnessing your experience and wondering, am I going nuts? And the part of you that is witnessing that is the more expanded self, right? It's the, there's the small self that is having this experience and it's being stretched so much beyond what it is known. So it's saying, ah, am I going nuts here? And to it, the small self, of course, things seem nuts and crazy because it is beyond the self. But to the expanded self that we have become, it can witness that, right? And it can have the knowing of, no, you are more sane than you have ever been before. This experience is more real than you have had before. Breathe. Breathe. Take a moment, you're not dying, you're going to be okay, right? And so, this is where people start to experience this kind of walking in two worlds, right? That can happen. So, now we're shifting from the immediate after effects to more of the long term after effects and integration of these transformative experiences. And when this walking in two worlds happens, you know, people might call it my spiritual life and my everyday life, right? You know, I go to I go to work and I have my job and I do this. But then when I'm on my own, this is all the stuff. I'm, I'm into my crystals and my rituals and my, you know, all of this other stuff here, right? And I connect and talk to my angels or guardians or whatever that form is that happens for you, right? And for some, that can be like a hiding in the spiritual closet kind of experience, right? We have this fear around fully stepping into the power of who we sense ourselves to be or who we might have experienced ourselves to be. And there's a very real fear that comes up there because, again, we fear that if we step into it fully, we might lose those that we love around us the most. We might become so different that we're such highly socialized creatures that if we stand out too much, we will be ostracized from the pack. Yeah. And that's terrifying to the pack mentality creature that wants to stay with everybody else. And yet we yearn to be individual. We yearn to shine. We yearn to be unique. So we have to grapple in this stage, finding this balance between stepping into our authenticity always and finding a level of belonging. Eventually that tension can for some people can maintain that for a long time I met this woman once I was at this talk and she came up and she was like Nicole that bit about walking in two worlds I've been doing that for 40 years and I was like Lady, wow, what's your secret? Like, I was amazed, right, that you could do it for 40 years. For most people, that tension becomes too much. And at some point, the urge, Jung talked about the opposites, right, and the opposites being there and in the tension between the opposites, something new has to emerge, And so in that tension of the opposites, eventually what emerges is that compelling piece of stepping more and more into our power. It is overwhelming because it is, again, the core of who we are. This is what we touched on at the beginning of this conversation, right? That core essence. The more you become familiar with it, the more you tap into it, it, the more you get to experience it, the more we understand that we can actually, it's okay, you know, it's not going to kill us. We can operate from that space. We can live life from that space. And we find that our energy becomes more um, efficient the decisions become clearer and we become more efficient because now we're in our optimal zone of energy. We understand our own flow states. We understand our hardwiring. We understand our personality. We understand our design, divine design and our template and how we can operate. And once we're clicking more and more in alignment with that, and again, that's an evolving journey because we're evolving beings, the more we're aligning with that, Um, the more eventually you start to be less attached to those things that previously that little self that was having the freak out, that am I nuts, that part of us starts to become less and less attached to all of the things that we thought were so important because it requires a level of safety. That shell, that ego self that we are is simply a protective mechanism to help us operate in the world. And so there's nothing bad about it. We don't have to annihilate it. We don't have to obliterate it or get rid of it or, you know, whip it into shape. We have to be gentle with it and encourage it and invite it continually to work together with the greater self that is evolving to step in line with us, right, and to work from that place because it simply needs to know that it is safe, Um, And so safety comes from repeated experiences and new habits. And we form that over time. And so as we do that, and those other bits of the self kind of fall away, one day we start looking around and we realize I have different people around me. You know, my tribe is different. I'm attracting different people. I'm making different choices in how I want to live my life. I'm making different choices in the words that come out of me how I am being in the moment with other people, how I am choosing to allocate my time in a day, where my priorities are and what matters. All of these things become clearer, become easier, or not necessarily easier, they become clearer and so the decisions around them become easier. We just get more in alignment with where we are and the things, over time, I find there becomes more joyfulness we can be lighter in that space. We can become more joyful. We can start to understand truly what it is to love and be loved and embody love. We can start to step more powerfully into this thing called service, true service. Because, you know, if we force service and we force this thing calls, called like a purposeful life and a purposeful path, it can feel very effortful as opposed to, you know, we're efforting all the time as opposed to being a little more effortless. Because when we're in our zone, the natural shine that we are, the natural character that we are comes through. We can't help but be who we are. My husband has this wonderful saying, he's like, all you have to do to get to know someone is spend more time with them, (laughs) right? And the more I'm around certain people, I'm like, oh, that's so true. You know, people cannot help but show who they are over time. And so that's cool. Get comfortable. With who you are, it doesn't matter who you are. Just get comfortable with it, yeah? And what you're going to find is naturally you will attract Repel certain people. And that is a process, particularly those of us who are empathic, need to get okay with is that we can't love everyone in exactly the same way or have the same deep relationship that we, we might want with every single person because people are different, you know, and our energy and their energy just has a different dynamic together. So to be okay with the attraction of some at different points. And that too might evolve over time and go a different way. And the repulsion of others, there's going to be people who just don't want to be around you. And it's not about you. Just do you. That's all right. And they'll sort their stuff out over time. There are many reasons. Think of it for yourself, why you either do or don't want to be around another person or another space, right? Particularly as you open up to your energies and your sensitivity, when you walk into a room, you know, like either, yeah, this just feels this this just feels like coming home, right? This is food for my soul being in this space, or you're at that door looking around going, something isn't right. I, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I want to be here. And immediately, something in your body is indicating to you that this is just not quite right. And that is a beautiful thing because it means you are getting more acquainted with your body intelligence, your spirit intelligence, your soul that is giving you the signs everywhere. You're reading and becoming more sensitive to your environment. And that's great because again you're going to make more efficient choices you're going to be you're going to know better how you can be in your most optimum energy to do you on the planet in this very short time that we have to be alive you know it's life is too short life is too i know that's just so cliche but Honestly, <laughs> this is what death teaches as well. Life is so incredibly short and so why not have the best fucking experience you can during that time? And I don't mean that in a selfish, tread over others, egotistical, like, you know, trash the world kind of way. I mean it in the way of why not feel And experience what it is to step into the fullness of the vehicle that you have been given to understand it, to understand it in relation to yourself, to planet Earth, to other human beings and other living beings, and to experience the potential that we can move through ourselves and together to experience something different. On this planet and this is where the visionary stuff comes into because for those of us who have had a taste of that we know that that is possible you know i am so excited in one way i'm terrified and excited to be on the planet at this moment in time because anything could happen We could collectively as a species annihilate ourselves and we're on a trajectory to do that. We are on like this global suicide mission right now. The way we're treating our mama earth, our home, we are so parasitic and we are hurting ourselves as a species and it makes no sense. I don't know any other species that does this to itself. And for an intelligent species, we're acting pretty dumb. Or we can tap into other pieces of what we understand our nature to be, what ancient civilizations operated by. You know, we have ancient wisdom systems that, that have been on this planet that communicated telepathically you know that understood the plants and worked with the plants on a completely different level of of medicine and healing that new community that didn't have to use money as a system of slavery to you know taxes and they say taxes and death are inevitable well they're, they're not you know I mean the soul is eternal and taxes are not inevitable they're a system they're a human system right so we have the power to be Truly intelligent creatures and co create something different, but we have to, in order to do that, step into our true essence and our power and do it in a way where we are unafraid of change. And that's so hard because we are creatures of habit, and often we would rather be in the same pattern, even if it's painful and it's even killing us because it's familiar, than stepping into something completely different. And that is really odd i find that very odd about us and yet it's part of who we are so we have to just come to terms with our limitations as beings and our very odd quirks and still try and tap into that potentiating force um, to create something amazing because we can do it we can do it everybody
2: give a round of applause for nicole gruel (laughs) I know. I was like, I love my job. This is, this is great. I'm just going
1: to listen. Mike, and receive.
2: I, I was having this like meta experience of like, I am so glad thousands of women are listening to this conversation right now because everything that you just articulated so beautifully, so embodied is exactly what we need to hear. Thank you. A deep bow, a deep bow, and a, and a round of applause. I, There was something you said in there that I have to jump in on because I feel like it's really important and it is one of the most taboo subjects there is. And it is the subject of beginning to see and hear things and then going to a doctor to understand and then being diagnosed schizophrenic. I had an experience like that that lasted six months, more like nine months, and it was so strong. Eyes opened, eyes closed, I was seeing things. In the reflection in the mirror, I was seeing things. I was hearing voices. I was feeling things. And luckily, I had the guidance of an elder and a community of people of a more shamanic nature to help guide me through it. And luckily, for six months out of the nine months, I was in the rainforest. But it was so strong that... Even the people I was with that were my my friends that I was journeying with, I would look at them and on their faces, I would see symbols and all of these things were happening. And it wasn't a light, fluffy experience, Nicole. It was a very scary, dark, heavy experience, but embedded with so much beauty. Like There was so much beauty around me and so much love around me, but there was this, even with the people that I was doing the spiritual work with other than the elders, the ones who are more my age, my peers, I eventually realized they could not hold what I was going through. I had to swallow it. I had to swallow it and pretend to be like they were. And it was one of the scariest things in my life because I didn't know if it was ever going to go away. I didn't know if I was ever going to be normal again. And this experience did go away. It went away with really beautiful support. And I learned so much about who I am and about my power and about my gifts. My gifts really came online since then. And so I share that story because I don't often share that story I share it amongst my community, but I haven't shared it on this platform to this degree. And it's a vulnerable thing because it's what literally has gotten women killed or locked up and men too. And I want to highlight that you spoke about it and normalized it in such a powerful way that I would have loved to know you in that time of my life. I would have loved to be able to share these experiences with you and so I just want all the women who are listening that are having these extraordinary experiences positive or heavy or scary to know that you are not alone. There is nothing wrong with you. You are in a community. You are a part of a community here that can hold this with you and it's So beautiful, Nicole, because we're talking about the integration of these extraordinary spiritual experiences, near-death experiences. And really what it's reminding me of is the integration of masculine and feminine, because this mystery is inherently feminine. And as we integrate this great mystery into our lives, we're integrating masculine and feminine at almost the deepest level, the level of who are we? Like, why are we here? And it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful, profound element to bring into this conversation.
0: Well, I want to say thank you for sharing the story. Um, It's always an honor to hear people's stories. And that's a wild one, wild. And you're absolutely right. So many of these experiences, it's, it's okay in the spiritual community to talk about the love and light stuff. But there are many who will never talk about the more distressing, challenging experiences. And that is something that our community needs to be awake and aware to. Why is that right as well? And so, and again, it comes down to even in an awakened community, people are still fearful of being thrown out, right, of the community. I finally found my tribe. I finally found people that are more like me. And now I'm going to be ostracized yet again from that, right? And so, so much of this awakening journey can be highly isolating, but it doesn't always have to be. We can also take the, you know, the time and the space for the aloneness. There's a reason why the hermit does the hermit's journey right and goes alone because there is stuff that we just have to figure out um by ourselves fortunately you know in your story Lauren you had the community that to a degree could help hold space right I I remember you know again I I used to hang out in ashrams a lot and I got talking with people one time. I was like, what what happens when people have these full-blown spiritual experiences, even though here we are in a so-called spiritual community, right? All people are doing every day is like meditating and yoga and doing all the other boring stuff like the kitchen and cleaning toilets and and tending to the garden and all of that, because ashrams, monasteries, all these places are really monotonous, like really, really mundane and boring and monotonous. And there's a good reason for that because it provides grounding, right? The repetitive nature of these patterns provides a, a it provides something for our minds to engage in and be active on and predict. Again, it comes to safety. And in the safety and stability and predictability of that, our roots that we're growing, our shoots can start to open up. And so spontaneously sometimes you'll have this, incredible experience, right? Things will start to happen. And so I asked one time, what happens to these people that have these, you know, full-blown spiritual mystical experiences, like the big ones, not just a momentary aha or a connection, but like full-blown. you not what they used to do in the ashram. I was told this was back in the 70s. They actually had a hole in the ground and they would just put the person in the hole like it was a bit above standing height and then they couldn't climb out of it. And they'd leave them there for like a few days and just keep bringing um, food and and water. And, and the person would deal with it on their own. And I'm like, wow, you'd be arrested for doing that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not duty of care at all, right? That's that's really full on. But it showed me, just like the experience out in the Amazon that you shared, that there there are certain points where some communities are able to assist. And then there are experiences beyond that where they don't quite know how to hold space appropriately. For people. Right. And so one of the most important things I find in the modern world, because we've also lost connection to our traditional grounded ways of being, right? So in addition to losing whatever support structures we traditionally have had for our spiritual growth and health and well-being, In addition to kind of losing those because, you know, so many people are just not interested or not connected or even aware that those resources exist, and if those resources do exist, they're not always very healthy places to be these days. So in addition to losing those, we also are not having a broader conversation in our society about our spiritual dimension or spiritual health. Mm -hmm. I mean, you break a leg, you go to the doctor you break your heart or so-called broken mind, even though I don't ascribe to any broken mind theory, but, you know, I'm talking kind of mainstream here. You think something's wrong with my head, something's wrong with my heart. I go to a psychologist or a therapist, right? But we don't talk about what do you do when you feel like you're broken at the level of your soul? (laughs) What do I do when I'm cracked open at the level of my soul or my spirit? We have no idea what to do. So we turn to wherever we can turn, but the places that we turn... Uh, deficit there's a desert out there right so these are all things in our modern society that create the perfect storm for spiritual crises to occur and for spiritual emergencies to happen so instead of people having something called a smooth spiritual emergence over time increasingly people are having these spiritual emergencies where the experience happens or an awakening happens and you know we're also in a global pressure cooker right so the more that a a being a living being is strained by its environment the more capacity it has to kind of crack yep so people are having these awakenings right now many of them unpleasant Especially in the current global climate, you know, we are becoming more and more aware of dark things going on on the planet that are highly unpleasant. And I can totally understand the desire to want to bury your head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that none of it exists. And, you know, take me back to that love light place and I'm going to sit here on my little om-cushion and om-it all away. The reality is, though, that doesn't work, (laughs) right? It might give you a temporary feeling of okayness, but until we are able to walk eyes wide open in what is going on on this planet at this time, we're not going to be able to fully integrate who we are and where we need to be. We must be awake to and deal with and walk through what is dark, what is dark in our spiritual experiences, what is dark in the planet and and walk it mindfully. If you can walk it with a sense of humor and as lightly as you can, you know, get some good company along so that you don't get exhausted and overwhelmed because it can feel like a war zone out there in many ways, right? I
2: want to just chime in here because as you're speaking, I realized I didn't share how I healed that experience, how I integrated that experience, which I feel is like you've perfectly teed up which could help another woman. I realized that this experience that I was having may not go away. That was my fear. That it would never go away. And that I would learn, have to learn to live with it. And the only thing that I began to realize was that my resistance to it made it stronger. And the only way through it was to make friends with this energy and to learn with all my might to try to love it. And so it's the love thy enemy. It's the love thy darkness. It's love the pain that you see in the world. It is the only pathway through.
0: 100%. 100%. Because until we can be with all of who we are, that is what a spiritual awakening is, right? We are opened to more of who we are and more of what is. And that doesn't make it good or bad or light or dark. It's just more of what is. (laughs) So the ability to accept that, to welcome that, and as you so beautifully say, to even love that, right? When we can celebrate all of who we are in our complexity, not just the good stuff, not just the bits that we like about ourselves, but when we can accept ourselves fully now we become more interesting, we become more robust, we become more able to step up and serve people as they open up to more of their complexity. We become more able to put our gumboots on and walk into the world in its complexity and to fully be present to some of the shit that goes on in the world, to some of the darkness, to be with the light, to call the light out when the light needs to be called out because it's not, you know, exactly fully light either, you know. So to be, this is, this is all the stuff that comes with being more open and discerning and clear on the path. It's beautiful. And so that healing that happens in accepting the self enables that next step of now I can walk my gifts more. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I find exactly the same thing. I find it in my own path. I find it in walking with other people as well. That is exactly how I walk with people as we coach through their gifts and understand, you know, first understand what was that experience that you went through, right? Or the series of experiences. And then what are the gifts that came out of that? And those gifts don't always come from, you know, the easiest place. In fact, our gifts often come from the most challenging thing that we've ever been through. Sometimes we have to be broken and on our knees to require a true change in our lives because, again, we're creatures of habits. <laughs> we don't like to change things, right? So sometimes we just have to be brought down to our knees in our darkest, most desperate moment for something in us to click and say, I've had enough. I'm doing this differently or I've come to my breaking point. I can't do this path. I've got to accept where I am. I have to come into different relationship because how I've been has not been working until now, right? And that is such a a moment to celebrate that, that turning point there because now you've made a powerful decision. Now you get to be different from that. Now you will see things differently. So that's gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that story. I love that, you know, and, and the taboo topic of absolutely, you know, people fearing their gifts and being called and branded insane, right? There's that famous quote about the madman and the mystic swim in the same waters, right? And even in, psych- in psychiatry, there is no clear line that actually none that I have come across that can actually say this is where you are so-called insane and this is where you are up until this point having a spiritual experience there's no clear line in the sand and even in the the little DSM the little book that they use to you know with with all of their um diagnoses in there and by the way that's a very controversial book anyone can find anyone can self-diagnose a lot of different things um if you if you looked in that book and you can look into the history of how that book came about and i have my questions about it hence why i'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist in the traditional sense either but even in the one of the most recent versions of the dsm there is a section that has come in called dealing with spiritual problems right there is a new category that is in that but that category doesn't allow enough for a regular practitioner to truly discern between what might fit into that or not and so that isn't even used as as much of a category to help people going through a full-blown spiritual experience either and, and they often don't know that that's even a category that they could use you know most people don't walk into the psychiatrist's place and go I have a spiritual problem it's in your book you know, you can go look it up at this page, right? That'd be nice if that knowledge was there, but they don't have that knowledge. That's why they're going to that person. So we're just in this modern kerfuffle that doesn't understand or honor our spiritual experiences, our even beyond our human experiences. These are us as humans opening up to more dimensions of what is possible for us. And that word of normalizing, I think it is so important to normalize the fact that there is nothing wrong with us when we have these experiences. The fact that so many of us have these experiences, and we know this from neuroscience as well, is because we are actually built in a way, our mechanism is built in a way where we are able to access these. We're built to have them. We are built to have these extraordinary experiences. Why do we have them? So that we tap into more of who we are, so that we have wisdom, so that we have knowledge. Once upon a time, you know, the medicine men, the medicine women of the of the community, they would have these visionary experiences because that would help the health and the direction of the people. People understand who they were, their cosmology, their place in the great creation as a result of these experiences. These are so important to who we are and to give us direction. And in a modern world where so many people bless so many souls feeling, I don't know who I am, I don't know why I'm here, why do I have to go through this painful experience, even questioning, you know, whether they should stay living on the planet or not, because it's so painful to be here. These are questions of the soul. These are existential questions. And this is why we need to remain connected to these experiences, to our our great deep questions, to our great deep longings, to be open, you know, to the journey and our greater dimensions because there is so much more. If you've ever asked the question, isn't there more to life? Yes, there is. There is so much more. And it's, it's great to ask that question and to keep diving and exploring and to lean in to the itchiness that is in your life, to lean into that part of you that feels dissatisfied or uncomfortable or irritated in some way. The modern world's really good at saying, don't worry about that. You know, here's another thing to pacify that feeling and make it go away. Here's another distraction to feel good about life. But the reality is our irritations come up because there's something that needs to be paid attention to. So if your soul is irritated, there's a good reason for that. If your soul is depressing, if your soul is anxious, listen to it. You know, go there, go to that uncomfortable space. And I don't mean go there in a way of becoming overwhelmed by it. This can become another problem when we become so overwhelmed by by depression or anxiety. But there is, if we're able to walk with it and, you know, go read Rumi's poem on the guest house. If we're able to bring in these challenging emotions and thought as a guest into the being that we are and meet them respectfully, think of them like going, I I do this with my clients all the time when a difficult emotion like this arises, we go on a date with it, sit at the table with that emotion, that thought, that entity, give it a cup of chai, hang out for a little bit. Ask it some potent questions like, why are you here? What do you want? What do I have to do? What needs to happen for you to leave me alone, (laughs) right? Ask these questions of it. Make friends with this thing that is annoying you, that is irritating you, that is giving you discomfort. Because just like you shared in that that experience out in the Amazon line, when you push it away and you resist it, that door is just going to keep knocking in some other way and it will become louder and worse over time, right? So open the damn door. Be brave enough and bold enough. Get on your big girl's shoes. Know that your spirit is strong enough to handle it and go there, right? Because beyond that meeting of that space, is where you can tap into some of your greater potential but you have to be bold enough to meet that moment and know that the modern world isn't structured to encourage us to do that we don't learn this stuff in school right any of it so go ahead and do it and it's going to be okay but make sure you find people and surround yourself with delicious people like this community. Surround yourself with delicious people that you can lean into, who can hold you in those moments when you have no idea what's going on or you or you feel really triggered or challenged and they can reflect back and honour you back and see you back and remind you, remind you of why you decided to take this trod in the first place.
1: Mm, everything you share, Nicole, is like a health bomb, like a chicken soup, like a healing nectar for my soul. And so I appreciate you because it is embodied and integrated and clear and resonates. It resonates. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. So for our final question, I want to ask you to speak on behalf of the Divine Mother, our earth, you know, the consciousness of the, the feminine and share what she would have you say.
0: Well, I'm going to have to hold my sacred speaking owl for that one. This is an owl who's journeyed with us. So that's a profound thing. There is great change taking place right now. And there is an opportunity to step in to our greatness in this moment. And there is an unknown aspect to it. There is a void to it, and there are so many emotions that will arise on that journey, everything from being terrified through to elation, and all of that is okay because we are built to experience all of that. And so stepping into more of this means stepping into more of our human journey, stepping into more of our humanness, and only as we walk through that doorway with mama earth held by mama earth knowing mama earth has met, she has been through so many of these cycles she's been through so many of these cycles before nothing is new in a way nothing is new and yet to us who are on the planet everything can seem new at this point in time and so let us tap in deeply to the wisdom of the mama that is holding us so that we can step forward in a way that is in true respect True partnership as true, I don't even want to use the word custodians as as beings on the planet who can respect the ground that is beneath us, that moves through us, that embodies us as our greater home. you know, to truly be our greatest and for Earth to truly shine her greatest. This is an invitation that is present to all of us now. Um, And it's a choice. Every single one of us can take any moment to make the choice to say yes and step into it and know that the answer is always presented when we step into our deep knowing, get barefoot on the earth, tap into the core power of the earth energy, allow that core power to rise through the earth, through your system, through your feet, up through every part and every cell of your body, up through every power center in the channels through your body. Allow mama earth and her strength to fill you, ground up, head up into the cosmos and connect with the great creator energy, connect with the sun, connect with whatever energizes you, knowing that you are a divinely designed, Creature upon this, in in just this impeccable, incredible, infinitely intelligent, splendid planet that we are just hovering through space. (laughs) We are just this incredible place hovering through space, and we have this moment in time to do something incredible here. So, awaken that power, step into it, honor it, especially as a woman. We as women need to dig in to a power that, you know, we give birth, my goodness, we give life, we create life. There's nothing more powerful than that. (laughs) Tap into the strength that we have to create more life on this planet and through life comes innocence and love and goodness. Any child that comes through is so pure, is so beautiful in that moment that is the potential that we have to create our stem cells. You know, we can regenerate life. We can do freaking anything. <laughs> so tap into that amazing, amazing power that we have. Stand in your womanness. Let it roar. Let it roar in all of her shades. Um, and let's let's do some serious, beautiful things on this planet together.
1: Mm, thank you so much. Dr. Nicole Grell, for being on the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Can you please share with our audience where women can find you?
0: Yeah, you can find me on my website, Um, All of the links, I'm sure, will be available. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and I have a... A book that you can get for free, you can download that and it's called The Power of Notes, The Power of Non-Ordinary Transcendent Experiences Mm -hmm. um, and how they transform the way we live, love and lead. So, you know, if this has resonated and you want to understand your experiences more in the pathway, that book can help ground you in that. It's free. I have a roadmap called The Agents of Awesome Roadmap as well. And so that is kind of a a one-page highlight of what we've discussed in some way today. Mm. Um, and then, of course, there are deeper dives after that. So we'll make sure those links are available for yep. you.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much. And for all the women listening, it's been beautiful to to be with you today. And so thank you so much.
2: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time and the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come, sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Secret Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big big hug.